So for today's podcast, we're going to recap last night's school board meeting. Dr. Smith, you're back with us again. We do this every other Tuesday uh, to really go through what happened at last night's board of trustees meeting. And speaking of the board of trustees, Ann Ennis is joining us today. And you have been on the school board now for two years. Mm -hmm. So thank you for taking the time and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. We're going to go through the agenda from last night, and as we always do, Dr. Smith, you'll take us through some things, and Anne, certainly chime in if there's anything you want to share from being certainly part of the meeting last night. So if you want to just take it from here, Dr. Smith. You bet, and thanks for joining us. So this is the EVSC webpage. Uh, If you look on or at About Us, and then click on Board of School Trustees on Board Docs, then you will be able to click on board docs. This is just an easy way to access board docs. There are other ways, but I think this is the EVS for EVSC. Once again, it'll pull up the meeting times. Click on that. And we're talking about last night's meeting. This is Tuesday, uh, March the 8th or the 9th. So we are looking at Monday, March the 8th. Look at the agenda. And then let's just go right in into the uh, consent items, if we will. Sure. Uh, allowance of payments, um, really a smaller amount over that two week period of time than what we traditionally see typically runs, excuse me, at about 10 million. This was, uh, 8.1 million. And if you would like to click on that to see the details, you certainly can do that. Uh, and once again, if you have any questions about these, don't hesitate to email or call. We'll be happy to, to answer those, but, uh, 14 pages of detail here. And it's all right there. All right here. I I won't go into great detail because we do this every other week. Uh, Something that is uh, somewhat unusual because we only take this to the board once a year, but this is the calendar for every board meeting for the next academic year. So uh, if you're interested in attending board meetings or listening on our radio station, WPSR, you have the, the dates for the next academic year. Um, and those will be posted on our website as well. And one thing I did think that was interesting, um, you shared with the board, Dr. Smith, and that is, uh, we have to make sure that those dates for scheduled meetings align with things that we have to get approved by the board. I mean, we're not just picking those dates randomly out of the calendar when we look to the next year. A huge driver for this is the budget calendar and when we have to have certain things approved by the board for our annual budget. Okay. Then grant proposals that you know, we had more grant proposals this time than normal because we were blessed in Evansville uh, to have public education foundation and rotary grants. So we had a number of teachers apply for those grants this time. Um, and then this is something that's also unique, uh, but due to the inclement weather and the fact that we uh, did not have to make up a set number of days this year. Our employees, when we do have inclement weather, many of our employee groups do not get paid for that inclement weather day, but they do get paid for the makeup day. Since we are not having those makeup days this year and probably in the future, uh, we wanted to make certain that our employees still continue to be paid for those days. Did not want them to have a loss of pay through no fault of their own. No, absolutely This amount had already been budgeted and appropriated, so we thought that was the right thing to do for our employees. And then uh, consent item 3.06 is, once again, uh, to have the board approve the application uh, to the Department of Ed for the common school loan. And we use that primarily for technology purposes. And that's really something the state puts out for school districts to help support their implementation with technology, correct? Yes. And it's, a, I think, a very 
wise utilization of funds, the interest on that bond is typically 1% or lower. So it's a good way to make certain that our students and our staff have access to the latest and best technology for their academic pursuits. Then moving on, we have personal items uh, or recommendations, and certainly you can click on those to see what has transpired. And then the next section would be our action items. And as we do, these items were presented to the board in the previous board meeting so that board members have an opportunity to take a deep dive in this, to ask our staff any questions that they may have, to make certain that they are comfortable with these before they do approve the. And of course, you're referring to these three action items. Last board meeting, the previous meeting, they were listed under information. They were presented to the board, opportunity for those questions. And now when they're up for action, that means there's actually an official vote taken. Correct. And if I could just say that you yeah, know, this please. is really an important thing that we that we offer the information to action because it does give the community and constituents and school board members a chance to to really look at uh, any kind of input we get from from voters and taxpayers or not. And um, we do a lot of asking around about those in between. I think it really speaks to you all doing your homework and making sure that you're making good decisions based on the information presented and shared so that you're you're doing what reflects the community. Right. And I, I think that a lot of people miss that. They don't see that opportunity. And it's neat. Uh, what's nice about these podcast is to be able to tell people that they do have time in there to make their feelings known. You know, that's a great point. I think a lot of folks have the misconception that board members only show up on Monday night. (laughs) That is not the case. Uh, Certainly work throughout those two weeks, uh, solicit a lot of information, input. Um, So we want to make certain that everyone is comfortable with any uh, action that people will vote on. uh, And we'll, we'll go to great lengths to make certain that that comfort level is there. And, and you know, as you're going through these for the rest of the agenda, Dr. Smith, uh, several of these items just happened last night were presented by Darrell Langermeyer. He is uh, over our facilities, our chief facilities officer. And I know before we started today, Ann, you said as a board member, you want to share the question you get because you said that is something you get asked frequently. Yeah, speaking to the action item, information item, and then what Daryl was presenting last night in terms of facilities improvements, uh, I was uh, asking Daryl and he and Dr. Smith both explained uh, in different ways how how we assess these facility improvements and, and things that need to be done. Uh, it, it's not just squeaky wheel. And it's not just throwing a dart at the wall. There's a process. And people have input. Absolutely. We have 5.1 million square feet under roof. Uh, so I'll just go ahead and jump into the information okay. items because we've we have covered the action items in the previous session. But for instance, uh, information item 6.01, which is consideration to award a contract for AIS Diamond Boiler Project of 2021. That's a a big amount of money, nearly $200,000. All of this goes through a process of bidding. Mm -hmm. So we have contractors that have to meet certain specifications and requirements, Mm -hmm. and then it's the lowest, best bid, Mm -hmm. most appropriate bid. But, for instance, at AIS Diamond, if if the squeaky wheel syndrome kicks in and, and we just are attentive to people want this or want that, then, for instance, when a boiler goes out, <laughs> that's not something that you can just snap your finger in and install. So this will be done over the summer months. Uh, we are very proactive and we have preventive maintenance programs as well as many other things. And the assessment and the audit that they do on an annual basis then prioritizes the needs of the entire corporation. 
So I, I appreciate you pointing that out because I think that does kind of pull the curtain back and reveal how decisions are made. Right. Well, because we'd certainly love to do everything all the time, but you know, you, there has to be a prioritization, especially when you're dealing with a budget. Well, he mentioned that the, the amount of uh, capital projects is in excess of thirty million, was it? And that we tend to have five million or so to to actually do the work. So there has to be this prioritizing. Right. Yeah. We the budget typically calls for about thirty million dollars worth of of uh, either personnel costs or renovations. Mm-hmm. But and then also utility uh, utilization. However, when everything gets willowed down, we typically have a budget that is approved by the Department of Local Government Finance for around twenty three million. Mm-hmm. When you put property tax caps in there, then it typically is reduced to under twenty million for personnel costs, which would be custodian or skilled maintenance mm-hmm. do a phenomenal job of keeping all the mechanical systems up and running, our roofer, all of those things. Um, and best practice would for five million square feet would say that we'd have about $25 million worth of revenue just to appropriate to keep our buildings up and running. That doesn't account for utility and everything else. So we do have to make certain that the dollars that we do receive for capital projects are used in the prioritized and wisest manner possible. So then moving on to item Uh, 6.02, this chiller actually serves the entire school for McGarry Middle School. So we will also replace that this summer. So uh, while we're still in the throes of winter, we have everything planned out for summer. Uh, So once school is out uh, for our students, then we'll go in and do this very, very important work over the summer. And you will see then uh, the recommendation. So the board will have two weeks to consider this like we do everything with information and uh, solicited excuse me, additional information if that would be warranted. 6.03, the same type of setup. This is at uh, Perry Heights Middle School. 6.04, now we're going into roofing. So in addition to this snippet, the board receives the bid tab board so they can see all of the all of the proposals and the various contractors and if they met certain specifics or, or the specifications laid out in in the uh, in the bid as well as for the roof then they also have a schematic of the roof so that they see what portions of the roof is being replaced I think one of the interesting things too about these items from last night's information section for a superintendent for a board member in terms of facilities these aren't necessarily those glitzy items that catch your attention you know it's not the paint it's not the floor covering that type of thing but you talk about important things when you have buildings to maintain when you're talking about roofs and HVAC systems and things that our facilities office has to make sure being taken care of whether you see them or not if we want to make sure our buildings last as long as possible absolutely roofs are incredibly important to us so 6.0405 are both about roofs 6.06 then would be about uh, internet access so we do have a service provider this is would be a three-year contract so this goes out also for bids Uh, we also have then um, the and as you can read here uh, the FCC form 470 which requires us to do certain things all of that is met as it should be so uh, basically, we did have bids from these uh, four or five providers. They go through a pretty exhaustive rubric 
So then all that selection process is in place. Also confirm with legal counsel that things are as they should be. And then that recommendation is made then to the board. And then the last two items under uh, consideration for information, this board meeting would be policy considerations. One is to update policy 8600, which is transportation, really brings it in line with cer certain statutory changes. And then item uh, 6.08, the policy for the use of tobacco on school policy really is here as an update. I think minimal changes, but it was uh, recodified in Indiana code. So we wanted to make certain that the statute and the code citation lined up with our policy. And really, that takes us through last night's school board meeting. Great, really, a, a board meeting that's a great example of those things that have to be approved, considered, voted on, and, and items that will then, several items here on information that will move forward. And two weeks from now, we'll be looking at those as action items when you will be asked as a board member, along with your six colleagues, to vote. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, we thought we'd take some time here, too, now, after we're, we're done going through the board agenda uh, with you here, Trustee Ennis, and that is to talk a bit about what has come up at the last two board meetings prior to last night, and that was, you know, we had joint resolutions. One was with our local teachers association. Another one was with many area in the southern part of the state, school corporations and their respective teacher associations, and talking about things like House Bill 1005, which, of course, uh, we've, we've expressed some concerns about legislation like that and related Senate bills because of what it could do to funding for public schools in the state of Indiana. And then we've even talked about some of the language that we would like to see if legislation like that does go forward. So I don't know, Anne, you will we'll just throw it to you and you want to talk about, because I know you've been active with this even well before you became a, an elected school board member. Yes. Um, beginning in 2009 and 2010, when, uh, when we opened up in Indiana, the school choice voucher program, I, uh, as a person who's supportive of non-public schools and, and the mission and ministries that they serve in the community, I have long been concerned about um, the accessibility in truth uh, for non-public schools in actually who has that choice going in. Uh, I've done extensive research over the years. Uh, this is uh, why I, I ran for state reps several years ago. One of the reasons I ran for school board because I, I wanted to have more credibility with this is uh, the fact has always been uh, shortly after the original voucher program uh, was introduced in 9 to 10, 2010 budget, I guess, uh, was that if you, if you looked at non-public schools enrollment standards uh, and enrollment application processes, you see that there is an enrollment application, as I just alluded to, that that uses grades and performance and um, um, co complexity as as a tool for if the student would be able to successfully enroll in some non most non public schools. And what I've been saying since 2010 uh, over and over is uh, the criteria for a public school, which is a wonderful criteria, that's what the United States is all about, is are you the right age at this particular date? And we're welcoming you into, the, into our fold. And uh, we welcome all comers and uh, to, to take money away from a school that welcomes a school type across the state that welcomes everybody. 
and and works with everybody from the genius to someone who's got some substantial needs uh, is not fair. And really what you're talking about is truly an open enrollment process where a school is open to all. And as you've said before, Dr. Smith, it's where really the family, if legislators are saying the priority is to make sure that students and their respective families get to choose the school, that's what we're advocating for, not the other way around where you may have schools in the state choosing the families. Correct. And completely agree with Trustee Ennis. You know, this is not about public school versus private school, although I think some people want to make it into that. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've been very clear that proponents of House Bill 1005 and similarly situated legislation continue to say, well, this expands the choice that parents have. If that truly is their intent, then they could easily insert language into House Bill 1005 language that would say, if parents receive a choice scholarship for their child, then they will have the ability to enroll any non-public or any private school of the parent's choice if that school accepts school choice voucher students. Then I think you take any and every argument away, frankly, because, and it's a simple fix. And that would be a way for proponents of House Bill 1005 and similarly situated legislation to say, okay, We not only say that we want to provide parents with more options, we're going to ensure that the parents have those options. So parents can choose and not the other way around, not to have the schools choose. And I think. And you're saying that that if that language was added into the legislation, if it does become law into the law, we're not asking for people to revamp their entry standards across the state. We're asking for legislators to make it clear so that really it's consistent at every school that, as you said, accepts choice scholarship vouchers. Right. Well, that's uh, I've had conversations over the last two years with state representatives from southwestern Indiana who have indicated that they support that. That they support the idea that if it is a school choice voucher, that it should be, be able to be used at the discernment of the parent and and not have the application process and the discernment of, of school staff as to whether they they want to accept that voucher. Uh, and, you know, so, so I think this the, the, the General Assembly is friendly to this idea, and it, then that just, all hands on deck, it makes it much better for the student, because this is in the end, as as we all know, and as uh, non-public schools know too, it is about the children, and it is about educating the workforce for tomorrow, and it is about getting our children to become good citizens and productive citizens, and we need everybody's help with that. But to to offer a voucher that is then the student is is rejected because of performance issues or because of other complexities, that's not a choice left to the parents that way. And it's disingenuous to, to call it that well from, the, from the General Assemblies. Well said. And, and the board, through its leadership, I think has provided tremendous opportunities for parents and for students within EVSC through our innovative models, through all of the opportunities that our students had. Had the opportunity last night to attend uh, the Honors Band concert, high school honors band concert. There are so many things that our students have access to that I think we take a great deal of pride in. Um, Medical Professions Academy, 
you know, early college, new tech, so many, so many innovative models and opportunities for our kids. Well, and the, the Southern Indiana Career and Tech Center, which pulls Absolutely. from every uh, everybody around even surrounding counties. I mean, that program is a is a career builder, and uh, um, and the funding for that, and the teachers for that, and the funding for whether it's the advanced mathematics, advanced sciences. Uh, or then you know ramp and career and tech center programs it's it's important that we have all those funds and that we we serve anybody who can apply for those programs well, because really at its core we're talking about funding schools funding children and families in this state mm -hmm. so that we can continue to offer those type of options to match every learning style, every interest style to make our kids successful, not just here in their current year, but each year thereafter and, and after school. And, and, the, and the fact is, is that public schools in the state of Indiana educate 90% or more, uh, I've heard actually higher percentages lately, of the K-12 population and uh, in all its diversity. And that's great. I mean, that is wonderful. And I'm so proud uh, to be... a, a associated with a public school system that accepts and, and works with the diversity from, uh, uh, like you said, you know, the uh, PhDs and National Merit Scholars to students who, who, have, who need some special care. Uh, but the money, the, a lot of the new money coming out of the state is going to schools that, that could, could complement that service if they would open their doors to complementing that service and have the enriching experiences that our students have, uh, but are being allowed by the state and the General Assembly and representative senators need to look at how schools are curtailing the parents' choices. Well said. Yes, definitely. Final thoughts from you, Dr. Smith, as we well, end this? You know, I appreciate Trustee Ennis being on with us today to share uh, her expertise and her point of view, because I think seldom does the public get to see and have that insight. So I appreciate you taking time to do that. Um, it's also interesting that, unfortunately, I think we have kind of evolved into just the soundbite and we don't drill down any further than that. Uh, which I think is also problematic. But if people want a soundbite for funding education in Indiana, the soundbite is simply this. Please fund us to keep pace with inflation. I think everybody can understand that. There's no hidden agenda there. There is no half truth stated. It is mm -hmm. everybody understands just fund us to keep pace with inflation, something the state of Indiana has failed to do for the last 12 years in a row. Powerful statistic yes. to share that. So, all right. Thank you, Dr. Smith, for sharing that. Trustee thank Ennis, thank you for yes, coming in. Thank you. We thank appreciate you. that. Good conversation. Today, we'll do this again. Thank you both. Thank you.